Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot button internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly. Welcome to Cyber Law and Business Report, broadcasted live from the Internet Law Center here in the heart of Silicon Beach in downtown Santa Monica. Please be seated. Um, Thank you for joining us. We have a great show for you today. Um, We're going to be talking about the Wild West of social media. You know, there have been some efforts to make some clarity in there. The FTC, as we've talked about uh, in the past, and we've had, even had them on to explain, there are certain guidelines that govern um, things such as celebrity endorsements on social media. And, um, but, you know, it's, as this has evolved beyond Facebook and Twitter to Pinterest, it's become a more interesting issue. And maybe not necessarily one that has been fully um, observed. So with us, we have Heather Antoine from the Antoine Law Group in, um, I won't say the city, but its zip code is 90210. Um, Heather, are you with us? I am here. Thank you for having me. Yes. Um, so I'm glad to have you with us. Um, Heather and I actually work together on the California Bar IP section. Um, we're part of the Technology, Internet, and Privacy um, interest group. And um, so Heather's been doing a, a fair amount of work in this area. Tell us about your background. Um, so I, you know, similar to you, Bennett, practice internet law. I'm mostly on the litigation side. So I work with companies that have issues arise as a result of their online presence, whether it's, you know, um, infringement or domain disputes. And I also do FTC counseling. So I let them know, you know, what advertisements need to be tagged as advertisements, where endorsements need to be listed and, and the placement of those issues on their website. So there's no confusion and, and they're abiding by the guidelines. Now, just by way of background, the FTC updated their endorsement guidelines several years ago. And, and it's kind of spelled out that this applies to social media. And then just recently, they, they updated the uh, FAQs to that. They actually gave examples that were directly on point to social media. Could you kind of give us a summary how that came about? Sure. So um, in I think the first updates and the first rules came about in, in about 1980, which obviously we know would not apply to most of what we're going to talk about today. So then in 2009, they put together a new set of endorsement guidelines. And they said, you know, this applies to what everybody is now calling new media. So new media is kind of this catch-all phrase for um, items that are related to the internet or the interplay between technology, um, images, things like that, that are not your traditional forms of media. So what they were looking at before were magazines, newspapers, television. And now, as of 2009, they said, sure, all of our endorsement guidelines also apply to 
online avenues. And at that point, um, you know, Google, YouTube, those were kind of the bigger new media avenues. Um, since then, obviously, new media has exploded. And a lot of people had questions that were not answered. And they kept submitting them to the FTC, you know, what happens if a famous athlete, for example, has 1000s of followers on Twitter, and, you know, is is tweeting about products, but not saying that he's getting paid to tweet about those products. Is that okay? You know, Twitter only allows 140 characters. What do we do? And, and in 2009, also, you know, Instagram didn't even exist. And now there's, I believe there's something like 60 million um, Instagram users only in the United States. So obviously, these were becoming massively large issues that needed to be clarified. So in May of this year, they released a new set of guidelines that kind of really focused on these issues, these new media, social media, these types of issues. Well, so they actually gave specific examples in the, the new the new guidelines about some like the hashtags to use when you're talking about an ad, correct? Yes, they did. Tell us about it. So a, a lot of people were complaining, you know, especially with Twitter, I only have 140 characters to say what I need to say anyway. So, so how am I going to say that this is an endorsement or how am I going to say this is sponsored? And what they said is, you know, we understand that it's limited, but we only want you to use three characters, either AD period or hashtag AD, whichever you pre- prefer. And it takes three characters and it would be, according to the FTC, now effective. You could also, you know, use seven characters and say paid ad or use a, a couple more and say sponsored or promotion, which both use nine characters. But all in all, what they were trying to get across there is saying, you know, Yes, we understand we're taking less than 10 of your characters, but it's very important that the consumers know that these are promotions because that's, you know, the FTC's job at the end of the day is to prevent deceptive practices. And and their view is that um, a consumer needs to know when they're being advertised to. That's kind of where they're coming from. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the guides in and of themselves are, are meant to, to keep the truth in advertising principle, you know, that all endorsements, all advertisements have to be honest. They shouldn't be deceptive. They shouldn't be misleading. And that consumers or readers or whoever they may be should know when a celebrity was paid for something or when they weren't, you know, and, and there's a lot of power in that people are making a lot of money right now with these genres. And so they they were really concerned about it. And that's why I think they released this, this new set of guidelines. And, um, and so there's value or actually, I'm seeing some evidence that there's debate about this. But, you know, generally, um, Products believe there's value towards celebrity endorsement. You know, having Beyonce or having someone um, say, "Hey, I, I use this product or I drink this product or whatever," it's cool. Um, has value, and and we're seeing that migrate into social media, right? Right. Yeah. So, so some of the examples that I've seen is, you know, if if Kim Kardashian is given a Hermes handbag, for example, and and this is obviously just an example, but if she's given that handbag, she carries it around, picture ends up of her carrying it on um, Instagram, and she says, you know, I love my Hermes handbag, but she doesn't say, for example, that it was an ad or that it was 
a promotion or that she got it for free, generally speaking, you will see an increase in people buying that bag as a result of her you know, having posted the picture. And there are a lot of companies that are capitalizing on this. I mean, there's a company in New York called Niche. And what they do is they match advertisers with the internet star. So they say, if you want to promote your um, golf club, we'll get a campaign going where people will take a picture with your golf club, you give it to them for free. And what they've basically said is it could definitely increase like there was a gap campaign, for example, and they worked with a couple of Instagram stars that are not famous people. They have just become famous as a result of being on Instagram. And that campaign generated what they said was something in the high five-figure range. So whatever that means. And, and, and initially, so let's back up. So when the rules were first announced, there was a huge outcry that the FTC was going to start punishing bloggers and you know that it was, it was unfair – and you, they actually showed a, a fair amount of restraint um, in this area, usually just issuing warnings for the first couple of years. But only now have they actually started going after people. Um, can you tell us anything about that? Yeah, I think so. The In 2009, when they released that first set, there was still a lot of confusion about, you know, what was going to be regulated and what wasn't. And I think it kind of came over to a boil with the Colhan case. And what happened with Colhan was that the FTC was investigating a Pinterest campaign that they put on um, as a potential violation of the FTC Act. And what what Colhan did was they had this wandering soul campaign and they wanted people to take pictures of themselves, you know, and their favorite place to wander. And they offered a thousand dollar shopping spree to the best you know, Pinterest post. Um, but they didn't instruct any of the participants to disclose that they were doing this in pursuit of this $1,000. Um, and the FTC really didn't like that. So what they did was, you know, they investigated it. And then at the end, kind of decided that there wasn't enough of a guideline on this topic. And so instead of pursuing legal action, they issued a closing letter, which was basically a warning to Colhan, didn't do anything. And that may have been some of the impetus, you know, to say that we need to clarify these guidelines, like maybe people don't know what they are and are not supposed to be doing now. And and these companies need to know what their responsibilities are. And a lot of it had changed in the meantime, you know. So I think that was part of the the reason that they started the 2015 um, set of guidelines. And, um, yeah, they indicated in their letter to Colhan, participant pins featuring Colhan products were endorsements. And the fact that the pins were incentivized by the contest would not reasonably be expected by consumers who saw the pins. We do not believe that the hashtags adequately communicated the financial incentives, a material connection between contestants and Cole Hahn. And um, so after that, you start – this was a period that I often refer to as when the, the check swing era, where the FTC was kind of sending letters out saying, okay, you, you kind of screwed up, but we're not going to do much about it. But what seems to really get them and get them to act um, – Earlier this year, when you incentivized the review, um, they, you know, they went after um, a company for you know, incentivizing people to um, per- submit favorable reviews, and that gets an action. Right, right. And I think they were seeing more and more of it increasing 
And they really wanted, I think, I think maybe now the actual um, pursuit of these legal actions will increase, but I think still only for very, very flagrant violations. And and so you look at the, the landscape today with um, you know the various celebrity endorsements, and, and particularly as they migrate to the new platforms, Pinterest and wherever, even Vine. Um, you know, are you seeing substantial compliance? Or are you seeing a lot of things that maybe you know come close to, or if not, go over the edge? I would not say that there is substantial compliance. I think it, definitely for a lot of celebrities, they don't take this seriously, and, and unfortunately, it may be because there's. N- not a lot here that the FTC can do. They can open up a legal investigation. They may, you know, um, they may try to get the ad revenue back from you. But to someone who's making $50 million a year, you know, that's minor P's for them versus potentially what they would view as kind of standing in the way of the aesthetic appearance of their their pages and their outlets. And so there, a lot of these people are still kind of doing what they were always doing, which is, you know, not necessarily complying in full. I think that that may change um, because what the FTC is actually asking is, is pretty reasonable. I mean, you know, there's a little bit that doesn't make sense in terms of, of their like campaigns. They can, they clarified a lot of that, you know, the likes, which are endorsements have to be disclosed, but there's not really a way for people to do that. So that's interesting. Um, but for the most part, it is reasonable. So I think it, it will change. And um, I guess the question, it's a tough question for the FTC because you know, there was such a backlash against them when they launched these rules. Who wants to pick on a celebrity? Right. <laughs> Certainly not I. I mean, actually, yeah, we could, we could really have a lot of fun and and have you call out Nicki Minaj since she knows she'll fire back. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Can I but, call um, out Nicki Minaj and Taylor Swift just to yes, see what all, really happens then? going after you instead of going yeah. after each other. But, um, yes, and so – but are there any um, – are there any ones that, that jump out at you in terms of celebrities that maybe are going over the line? You know, what I think is really special about new media is that it's not the celebrities that you and I know and talk about. It's not the Nicki Minaj. It's, it's not, the new celebrities. You know, it's the new celebrities. So if you look at someone like Michelle Fan, who, you know, was a waitress and couldn't get a job and she really liked makeup. And so starting, you know, in, in the mid-2000s, she started posting videos on YouTube about makeup. And you would think that this would not be that successful for her. She now has an $84 million makeup company because she was consistently making $5 million a year off of revenue generated by these YouTube videos, which that's that's the side of things that people aren't really looking at. Um, she was picked up very early on by, I think it was L'Oreal or some big makeup mm. company. And so, and what, and the interesting thing is when you know someone is a spokesperson for a particular product, then you don't have to disclose. So Michael Jordan, we all know was, was a Nike spokesperson, right. you know, um, Michelle Fan, whoever it is, Lancome, L'Oreal, who at one of those L <laughs> companies, but we know she's an endorser for them. So she doesn't necessarily have to do it. But a lot of the people who are on the way to that level are not necessarily saying, hey, I got this makeup for free or, hey, you know, here's my fashion video for the day today. And 
bungalow gave me this shirt for free, you know, it, it generally detracts from the flow of a video. And the one thing that the FTC made clear is putting it below the video in the description is not sufficient. You actually have to say in your video that I was given this for free or I was paid to say this. So that makes it, it makes it a different ball game. Um, so the, the, again, that's going to be the, the who, who do you pick? And, uh, and maybe it would be these um, new pseudo stars. Um, but we're going to talk about that after these messages. Um, we're going to take a short word from our sponsors. You're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report only on webmasterradio.fm. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Finding links to improve your rankings in the search engines is time-consuming and frustrating for many of us. The Hoth is the go-to company to help lighten your link-building load. Their white-label SEO was made specifically for agencies, in-house SEOs, and affiliates. The Hoth also offers high-quality custom local citation building to improve search rankings in Google's maps and localized results, providing fulfillment for some of the largest SEO companies in the world. The Hoth offers link and citation building services you can trust. Get $20 in link building or citation building credits free by going to thehoth.com slash radio. T-H-E-H-O-T-H dot com slash radio. Reinventing keyword research, simplifying campaign optimization, redefining competitive analysis. SpyFu brings you an entirely new way to find the most profitable keywords for your SEO and PPC campaigns. New tools, new data, and a brand new look. We've streamlined SpyFu so that you can optimize your search engine marketing more efficiently, more accurately, and more intuitively. Visit SpyFu.com, that's S-P-Y-F-U.com, and start downloading your competitors' keywords now. Try it free. Introducing Rumble, the smart mobile management system, the first end-to-end mobile platform where you can make real-time app modifications from a point-and-click dashboard. Want to change the design of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Want to change the ad map of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Want to change the content mix of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Power your mobile business with Rumble. Are you ready to rumble? Visit www.rumble.me. When you started your business, you first listened to your professors. Now that your business is growing and gaining ground, you only seek out professionals. PPC Professionals, an industry leader for highly optimized search marketing campaigns with over 30 years of combined management experience. Our professional approach to every campaign helps you find every avenue of revenue so that you can not only stay ahead of your competitors, but get a return on your investment and increase your bottom line. PPC Professionals, personal, professional, PPC services. PPCProfessionals.com Reinventing keyword research, simplifying campaign optimization, redefining competitive analysis, SpyFu brings you an entirely new way to find the most profitable keywords for your SEO and PPC campaigns. New tools, new data, and a brand new look. We've streamlined SpyFu so that you can optimize your search engine marketing more efficiently, more accurately, and more intuitively. Visit SpyFu.com, that's S-P-Y-F-U.com, and start downloading your competitors' keywords now. Try it free. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And welcome back. And as usual, um, we have information on today's show and on our guest, Heather. 
um, and our blog at cyberlawradio.wordpress.com. And you can check us out on Twitter at CyberLawRadio. So, Heather, um, what do you think is what is going to be the next issue you think um, we, we hear about in this field? Um, wow, I, I think I need a little bit of a crystal ball for that one. I think the next thing we're going to have to pay attention to is whether the FTC actually starts pursuing legal action. Um, and there there may be backlash from that. I think people are going to feel like like they're being restricted in some way. But this is something that traditional media has always had to deal with. Um, the guidelines about product placement is governed by the FCC. You know, this is something they were used to dealing with. And so now when you have all this commerce being conducted by not even necessarily the largest stars that we know of, but people that you and I don't know about who are making millions of dollars, um, that's where I think they're going to really focus on and, and see if there's a way to make sure those people are following what the FTC really stands for, which is, you know, that the that these um, ads are listed as ads, and that people know that they may be getting paid for this. Have you have you seen any statements by the FTC that suggest that they're watching this in particular, or anything that suggests any uneasiness? I think the guidelines suggest that they're watching this. I mean, I, I think the fact that they you know, really put out this this very detailed set of new guidelines suggests that this is something they take very seriously. And, and they went through and, and really listed so many different ways that this could come up, whether it's, you know, on your Facebook page, whether it's being hired by a trade association and then writing about it in your blog or, mm-hmm. you know, anything else. And, and I think that in and of itself is really the the sign that we should all be paying attention to. And, and yes, I guess the question though was that that was some, that was a couple of years back. Anything recently to suggest that, oh, you know, they're no, concerned these, about. Yeah. So these guidelines were as of May. Well, no, that's the FAQs. But yeah. in terms of, you know, doing the original guidelines, they actually, you know, they had a big workshop and then they were, you know, re- they released the guidelines and then they did road shows. And, and so the FAQs just came out in May, which is an update of that. But right. you haven't seen, you know, have you seen any anything indicating from them that there are certain types of um, practices in social media that they're concerned about? I, you know, I haven't, but I think the FAQs in and of themselves is the the expanded guidance that they were kind of looking for. No, I understand that. I was just wondering if there was, there was if you saw any signals about any particular practices that were necessarily getting their concern. That's what I was getting at. Not yet. Okay, um, and so. What are what are you seeing? What are clients asking you about the most in this area? I think so. What I'm seeing the most concern about is is these you know burgeoning Instagram and YouTube stars, and and what you, people want to know is if you're getting paid. Sometimes people get paid per like, you know, and does that have to be disclosed? And um, you know, if you're if a sponsored photo ends up attracting thirty thousand dollars or thirty thousand likes and you're getting paid a dollar per like, you know, that's something that that people who are looking at Instagram would probably want to know about. And so I think those are a lot of the questions that have been coming up lately. Because if you have, you know, a million followers and and you post a picture of something, then that's that's important to know hey, did you go on this trip because someone paid for you to go on this trip and it generated the 20,000 likes that you've now made $10,000 off of? Right. 
that, that that's kind of what they were hope, hoping to get at from the start. Right. Um, you know, basically where you're paying to play. And um, there was, I remember there was a nuance in the endorsement guidelines about disclosing whether or not you got free samples. And whereas they, they didn't do it, make that requirement for print. And, you know, I guess they, and they clumsily explained it as, um, well, you know, people trust what the New York Times writes regardless of whether or not they get free samples. So I guess, um, you know, that, that's, that's kind of what set off some of the, they thought the FTC was kind of moving in an anti-blog way. I think it, it is a relevant factor, whether it's New York Times or, um, you know, some small blog. Yes. And they, they kind of returned to that in the FAQ series. They said, you know, if you get a free meal and, you know, you should let your readers know you get a free meal. But but that's not what's happening in a lot of the traditional media. Um, so they, they kind of revisited it. And maybe that's something that needs to be uh, clarified again. Bennett, maybe now, you can submit a comment. I will. I will. I'll, I'll call it the Heather and Tuang Memorial co- uh, comment because <laughs> you, you have a, quite a reputation in, in a certain unique area of, of um, Internet law, and that is in digital death. Oh, my. Uh, do I? Yes. I think you, you've given me that reputation partially by calling me the doyen of digital death. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a unique area, and but you know there have been a few states that have been come out to address it. Um, you know, and, and when I say you know we talk about digital death, the question is what happens to your digital existence after you die? Who owns it? And you know what right of survivorship is it? Can you transfer it? And um, you know Heather, what 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 is happening in that evolving area? A lot is actually happening. So traditionally, there are no laws that are governing this. And so what's happened is it's turned into an issue of of contract law. So everybody utilizes their terms of service or um, their terms of use to state what happens to someone's data. So if Google says, you know, after you pass away, there's no rights of transferability, there's no rights of survivability. So they will say to you, you know, we'll delete the account. That's what they'll say to to a deceased survivors Mm -hmm. or trustees. And the way that this comes up and the reason people end up caring is not because they want to see, you know, their father's emails if their father passed away, but if their father is a writer, for example, and he was writing a book on Google Docs, which actually this is kind of what happened in one of my cases, is that, you know, Google refused to release this information and they didn't want to provide access to Google Docs. And then it becomes a question of, well, who owns the copyright? Obviously, we know the deceased owns the copyright, but if so, then you have to sue Google to obtain this. So it was, it's been a very, um, dramatic thing that deceased people have had to, or the deceased survivors have had to deal with. Um, so as a result, there was a push at the state level to get some uniform laws. And the first was the FADA, Fiduciary Access to Digital Assets Act. And that basically gave everybody access to everything. It was a privacy attorney's nightmare. I mean, it was essentially said if you're a trustee, a conservator, a uh, 
survivors, you know, everybody can have access to all of the online estate. And there was a lot of pushback from that. I mean, as you can, I'm sure can imagine the EFF had a field day with it and everybody really kind of reacted against it. So there was only one state that ended up implementing it. Um, And then it kind of crashed and burned after that. And then there was a new uniform law that was proposed after that called PEAK, which is the Privacy Expectations Afterlife Act, which only gives access for a select amount of time to a select amount of people, really for financial reasons. And that was much more narrowly tailored um, for people who had privacy concerns with the first go around. And that's passed in a couple of states, and I believe California is one of them, we're waiting for signature. And I think part of the concern also, though, is um, the grieving process. And by you know maintaining the account, they're allowed to people allowed to comment and, you know, learn, you know, one, find out the person's dead. Um, and to what extent do the laws deal with that in terms of, you know, maintaining a Facebook page so that people can communicate with the family, even though the person's dead? So the, the law is pretty much staying out of that. They, they're really concerned with more on the asset side in terms of um, Facebook or Instagram or what happens to all your online accounts. Those are still governed by the terms of use, which most, you know, I think the statistic is only one in a million people read those. So um, it, generally speaking, most of them have their own way of handling it. So Facebook, you know, now allows you to tag a legacy contact. So if someone passes away, your your legacy contact um, can can do what they want with your page, which is either turn it into a memorial page mm-hmm. or delete it. But either way, you know, it's their choice, and um, they'll they'll have access to your your page. But you can't keep it going as an active page. And that's one thing that most of these. Uh, social media avenues, platforms are not allowing. So you can't say, you know, because it is weird. I mean, um, you know, in the early days of Facebook, I mean, I I, I, I befriended some dead people. <laughs> it was like George Harrison. Oh, really? You're George Harrison. But it, yeah, that is, that you definitely, I see the value in that. And obviously you don't want dead people making posts. Right. But, um, and I, on a sentimental level, I mean, one of the things that's come up is that LinkedIn sends in reminders about, you know, this is your seven year work anniversary or whatever it may be. Right. And it's happened that, you know, people have passed away and then their friends and family get an email reminder. This is your seven week or seven year work anniversary. And that's something that a lot of people don't want to see. So that's and something actually, that I've, needs I've to be I've actually that LinkedIn. That, that was actually my next question. Because LinkedIn is actually bad at that. I've said, you know, thank you for reminding about this person's birthday. You might want to know that she died two years ago. Right. And, you know, they, and I still get them. Right. Well, now that we've picked a battle with Nicki Minaj and Taylor Swift, we may as well pick a battle with LinkedIn. But, exactly. Um, yeah, LinkedIn is one of the worst worst at these because they're they view themselves so much as a professional site rather than a a social networking site so they're really unclear on how to figure out um you know the post-death options i think it's i think they're working on it is what i've been told well you think if it's a a professional site then obviously that's something we want to be very discreet about right um, if someone's dead, you don't want to be saying, "Hey, send him the happy birthday yeah. note today," even though he's been dead for three years. It's it's it, it is awkward. And then you know the flip side on the continuation of so of social media pages after death is you know some family members just don't want the reminder. 
I mean, there are some that want to have the memorial, um, but some family members, it's just painful to see references. I don't know what you've encountered there. No, I, I mean, it is. In the, in the particular scenario where the family was trying to get this last book off of, of Google Docs, it was a very painful experience for them because while they're trying to do this, which is, you know, going through litigation is already a hard enough emotional battle. They're right. also dealing with grieving for a family member. And, you know, the whatever we can do as people who are, are alive to make, you know, the next step easier is really important. So I always tell people that they need to have a list of all of their digital assets Um and, you know, so I have a Facebook account, I have a Twitter account, I have an Instagram account, so that, you know, your surviving family members can take care of that pretty easily. It's not going to be an enjoyable thing for anybody to do, obviously, right. but it makes it easier for them to go in and account for what happened. And um, there's quite a few, uh, quite a few options for people and um, that they can take, you know, utilize to keep all their passwords and you know locked somewhere or whatever it may be and that is useful i mean you should do that not just you know in the online and offline world um you want to you know when you plan your estate that's something you need to do i actually had a, um, a personal encounter or experience this week that um kind of is somewhat related in this point in that i i was booking a hotel reservation for i was at hosting con in San Diego, which was a very good show. And um, I was booking my hotel reservation, and I got the, you know, completed the reservation, a little pop-up that said, you know, do you want, you know, do some upgrade options, you know, nicer room. Um, and one was, um, um, you can lay check out. And I had an image of this woman with this really cute dog laying, you know, laying on her chest while she read a book. And um, it said late check out was available and, I looked at the image and I thought, wow, that's, that's an interesting image. And uh, the dog's kind of cute. And it turned out it was my dead dog <laughs> with my wife. And it's a picture I took. And so uh, when I checked into the hotel, I asked about it and um, they didn't quite have any answers. But I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how that picture got there. I mean, I, I clearly, I took the picture. Um, I haven't seen it on Facebook, so maybe it's on somewhere else. But how, you know, how something like that would get there, which is p- peculiar. It's very bizarre. I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, to say the least, that's bizarre. You know, not, not never mind getting into whatever the digital death rights of my late dog are. Although she did have, <laughs> she did have a Facebook account, but oh, um, the uh, it, it's just a strange issue. And I'm actually part of me mainly you know, my my wife likes the fact that it's up there oddly, um, but. Part of me just wants to know how I got there so I can you know, let people know, like, you know, okay, th- I did this and th- it ended up in this publication or something. You know, so if you go to certain sites, you should be aware. You know, your photos may be used you know, in, in some fashion. And um, so that's maybe my, my main curiosity about this issue is figuring out, okay, how did we get here? Right. To paraphrase the talking heads. Right. And Instagram owns your photos, which is interesting. Not that I, I don't think this photo came from Instagram, but it could have. It could have. Um, I'll have to, you know, my, it could have been my wife posted. My wife used Instagram more than I do. She could have posted it there. And, uh, but does Instagram own the right to sell them? 
No, you own the right to sell them, which is in, so you could, a lot of what happens with the monetizing of Instagram is you can link your pictures to these um, various websites that will host them and then you can sell them and make money through I see. that. Um, and there was that one gentleman and he was selling them for like, you know, fifth celebrity Instagram photos, like $90,000, right? <laughs> I don't know about that one. Yeah. He was having an art show and he was selling these photos for like thousands of dollars and enough celebrities, you know, made us think that he actually had to shut down the show. That was the end of it. Yeah. Cause I guess he said, you know, once it's, it's anyone's ball game once you put it up on the site. I don't think that's true, but I mean, if that's what he I wants forget to the believe, site, but, you know, I, I think it's a good way to get sued. <laughs> yeah, it is. Oh, definitely. Uh, I think anytime you, you try to post sell pictures of Jennifer Lawrence, uh, I think you, you, you're going to hear from someone for sure. So you've been speaking a lot on this this, this issue. What's, what type of feedback are you getting? Um, I've gotten really, really great feedback. I mean, I think a lot of people just haven't been thinking about this issue. And um, we're talking about the digital death issue, correct? Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're not talking so, about puppies on you know, ads. Puppies on Instagram. Yeah, so I think there's a awareness that has to take place. And there is a lot of things that people can do. They can update their, you know, trust documents to say, this is what I give my family access to. And this is what I don't give my family access to. And everything is that they do get access to is managed under a password manager, like either, you know, keeper, or iPassword, or what, whatever they want to use. Or you can actually lay out your digital estate using various websites. I mean, there's Everplans, there's Principled Heart. Um, there's Dead Man Switch. Bennett, have you heard of this one? No. So Dead Man Switch is a fascinating website because what you do is you go in and you create an email um, that will potentially get sent if you die. And the way they they check and see if you die is they send you an email at some periodic date. So 30 days, 60 days. And you just click, I'm, I'm alive, I'm alive. And as long as you keep clicking, you're alive, the email doesn't go out. And then when you die or when you stop clicking, you're alive. And they really do, you know, they're sure of this based on whatever formula they're using. They send out this email and the email will list. You can put passwords in there. You can say, you know, write a letter to the person it's going to, telling them whatever you want to tell them. Hopefully nice stuff, not that you hated them your whole life. Right. Um, you know, and, and it's, an, it's an interesting idea. Yeah, I mean, you, you can see where this is going. I mean, in considering... Um, that setup, you know, what happens when your mailbox is full and you don't get the email and all of a sudden <laughs> everything goes out, you know, and, um, you know, things, you, things are revealed. You're, you're, um, you, you, you tell your, your, your child that, you know, it's not really, you're not really my son. Um, you know, all these different <laughs> things. And then it turns out you're, you're alive and uh, oops. <laughs> right. So, I mean, Dead Man Switch is not necessarily the one I would use, but it's the one I'm most entertained by, if I'm being honest. Oh, it's definitely an interesting concept. I like the concept. I'm just worried about the execution. But speaking of execution, I'm going to be executed if I don't take a short break um, for a word from our sponsors. And we'll come back. We'll wrap up with Heather um, after these messages. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Biz Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. 
Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Johnson, what's this mantis I keep hearing about? Do we need to call an exterminator? No, sir. Moby Mantis is our new SMS marketing tool. SM what? SMS, text messaging. Moby Mantis lets us communicate directly with our customers in real time. We can send promos, coupons. It even lets our customers market for us by sharing offers with their friends online. It's been great for business. Hmm, sounds expensive. Actually, I sign us up for an extended free trial. It hasn't cost us a dime. Good work, Johnson. I guess the only thing we'll be exterminating is the competition. To get your free extended trial of Moby Mantis, text RADIO to 21691. That's RADIO to 21691 for Moby Mantis. Creating a website is not an easy task, and there are so many companies to choose from. How do I know which one is best? It's a big jump making your site mobile-friendly, generating sales, and answering questions with no struggles. If you want to come out on top, you need Frog on Top. At Frog on Top, we take the time to make your site generate money, not just look good. Our team of experts are WordPress savvy, and our customer service is leaps ahead. See why we say our websites are designed better by leaps and bounds by going to frogontop.com. Frog on Top, your one-stop solution for the web. Frogontop.com. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Only on webmasterradio.fm. Heather Antoine, we're talking about um, a variety of issues from the um, FTC's endorsement guidelines and social media to digital death. And so, um, but Heather, I want to thank you for joining us. If people want to learn more about you, where should they go? Uh, They can go to my website, www.antoinelaw.com. And they can also contact me at hantoine at antoinelaw.com. Are you on Twitter? I am not active on Twitter, which is something I'm embarrassed to admit. Um, yes. Yes, yeah, so I was going to put include you in the, in the tweet that went out on this. But um, and do you have any upcoming speaking um, things you would like to refer to? Yes, I will be speaking at the state bars annual meeting on social media case law that's come out recently, and um, you are on the panel actually with me, and it's going to be October 9th in Anaheim. And then, Along with Francine Ward, um, yes. also from the IP section and fellow Georgetown alum. Um, we actually went there at the same time, but didn't know each other until after. And then if I could do a quick plug Please for do. the IP section's um, annual IP Institute, which is a fantastic event. And it's going to be November 12th and 13th at the Weston Mission Hills in Rancho Mirage. So you could take a quick vacation to Palm Springs and learn a lot about IP and technology, we have a really good slate for that event. I'm, I'm really excited about that location because, um, you know, as you said, Palm Springs, you know, so so many California bar stuff is either San Diego. Not that you know, I, I like San Diego too, but you know, it's just it's rare that you have something out there. So it is kind of a nice getaway. But unfortunately, I have a wedding I'll have to attend, so I'll only be able to go to part of it. But um, so I want to thank you for joining us. It's been a great pleasure. 
and um, definitely check out um, Heather and, um, and and her blog, her website. And um, if you if you happen to be in Anaheim, <laughs> if you just happen to be in well strolling through Anaheim uh, in October, um, definitely check us out at the annual meeting. We'll be talking about lions, tigers, and friends. Um, updates and case law and social media with Francine. And um, so, Heather, thanks again. Thank you so much for having me. All right. All the best. Uh, we have a few um, news updates to cover as we wrap up um, today's show. Um, one thing that was of interest was that there has been a petition um, to um, have the White House pardon Edward Snowden. Now, you know, Edward Snowden obviously has been somewhat of a, a troubling issue for the White House um, in terms of the, you know, the extent to which it was, this was disclosed and the, the problems it caused and, um, for you know, the administration, one in dealing with China and obviously the rest of the world. Um, but there was a petition to basically pardon Snowden, and the White House responded. And um, it said as follows, if he felt his actions were consistent with civil disobedience, then he should do what those who have taken issue with their own government do. Challenge it, speak out, engage in constructive act and protest, and importantly, accept the consequences of his actions. He should come home to the United States and be judged by a jury of his peers, not hide behind the cover of an authoritarian regime. Right now, he's running away from the consequences of his actions. And so... We live in a dangerous world. We continue to face grave security threats like terrorism, cyber attacks, and nuclear proliferation that our intelligence community must have all the tools needed to address. The balance between our security and civil liberties that are our ideals and our constitution require deserves robust debate and those who are willing to engage it and hear at home. Um, I, I, I can appreciate the White House's response, but I think my position on Snowden has evolved somewhat over time, and I, I think you have to recognize that he has contributed and enabled a debate that would not have otherwise happened. And um, I, I think the solution is there actually is a middle ground um, where you can actually look to the Bush administration, um, and they, they achieved it at the, at the end of the administration in dealing with the Valerie Plame affair. You had Scooter Libby, who was convicted, I believe, of perjury. I forget what the, the actual charge was in connection with the campaign that was waged against Valerie Plame. And President Bush did not pardon Scooter Libby, which was a great source of friction between him and Vice President Cheney. You know, he felt, you know, you don't leave any man behind. He was one of our own. You should pardon him. Um, but Bush felt that, you know, the crime was done. And what he did was commute his sentence. Um, to acknowledge that there was some wrongdoing done. And I, I think that's what can be done here. I think um, Snowden, a deal should be worked out where Snowden is allowed to come home, he pleads guilty to whatever, um, and then that sentence is, you know, whatever it is, is commuted to you know, nothing or commuted to um, some minimal amount and so that you know, the statement is made, this is a crime um, we don't want to encourage people to be leaking sensitive class out information. At the same time, you, know, you do have to recognize that you know he has allowed a debate to occur, and you know that that's something obviously for the administration to decide. But I think that would be a, a happy medium of you know, where we are in the various positions. Um, some different happy medium is what about happy birthday? 
and um, there's been uh, litigation going on over royalties due for playing Happy Birthday. And in the process, it has been discovered Happy the song may have been in the public domain before it was copyrighted. It's an interesting development. No, not having to play Happy pay royalties for Happy Birthday or you know people avoiding playing it online because of that. Um, may finally be resolved. It's an interesting development, and um, so we hope to, um, to have that problem solved shortly. Um, that would be great if it is public domain. Just I mean, as a practical matter, not as a legal matter, it kind of is already, but it would be great if people could uh, have the liberty to actually do that without having to worry about having to pay royalties. Um, luckily, we don't have any, you know, no one's birthday is today, and you don't want to hear either of us sing um, happy birthday, I'm, I'm suspecting. Now, um, Going back to endorsements, there was a, a popular camp, um, ad by Dentine, or I forget what's Dentine. It's one of the uh, sugarless gum um, providers, and they always would say, you know, endorsed by two out of three dentists, recommend this. It was always two out of three. I don't know why they couldn't get three out of five or four out of, four out of five, but it was always two out of three. Well, I think we learned a little about that one dentist who, um, who said no um, or who had a problem with it. And um, this week he's in the news, <laughs> and that is um, Walter Palmer. Uh, he's the dentist who killed the famed Cecil the Lion and um, sparking a huge international outcry. Um, I have to give a shout-out to Richard Jerome of New York City um, for his post on Facebook that said that he's the least popular dentist since Marathon Man. And I don't know if you ever saw the, the movie Marathon Man, but there's a, a famous scene. It's actually on a blog um, where it, Lawrence Olivier plays a, a former Nazi in New York City trying to get jewels that he had stored um, in, for his escape. And um, he he gets Dustin Hoffman and does a, a dental exam uh, like none other. And it is quite a painful scene, um, even even knowing it's not real. But it is a classic scene, um, two great actors. And um, so, but right now, I would think Lawrence Delivery, that dentist, the fictional dentist, is a little more popular than um, Walter Palmer, who has had to, um, his Yelp page has been bombarded, all his social media has been bombarded, his Facebook page is down. Um, the, his office in Minnesota has become a memorial for Cecil. People are dropping stuff off. Um, he's getting all these threats and people wishing him nothing but ill will. Um, so it is the, the usual internet outcry uh, against someone who's done something you know, incredibly stupid, incredibly atrocious. Um, and um, But he actually may have done something also incredibly illegal with a country that we do have an extradition treaty with. So um, this dentist, uh, Mr. Palmer, may actually be making another trip to Zimbabwe. And I'm sure many people would be quite pleased if that were the case. Um, I'm curious to see. It's interesting. Um, you know, Cecil was was a priceless um, a priceless value to the country. It was, you know, one of their most popular was their most popular line, and in some ways a symbol for the country. And um, losing it, they lose a huge um, tourist draw, um, and and you know they lose a lot of money. Um, from people who were coming to certain, you know, to visit there, partly because of Cecil, and so you know that it, it was a priceless asset. 
I mean, he paid $55,000 to kill it, but, you know, the price of what, what is lost is can't be measured. Well, at the same time, I think, you know, there's another, he's learning there's another thing that was priceless, and that was his reputation. And he may spend a lot, he's going to spend far more than $55,000 to try to re- rehabilitate his reputation. And he may find, actually, that, um, you know, his, his career may be over. Uh, it may be hard for him to, um, he may have to relocate or do something. But uh, right now, Walter Palmer is not the name for a person to have as a dentist. And, you know, I, I can speak from experience when my first dentist, his actual name was Payne. And um, I think more people would go to that guy than they would Walter Palmer right now. So, um, but that's all we have for today. I want to thank um, Heather for joining us. Um, she's really a, a, a very talented lawyer and it's great to work with her on these projects. So I thank you again for joining us. Um, check out our blog, cyberlawradio.wordpress.com. And um, check out the Internet Law Center. We're at internetlawcenter.net. We're a full-service internet firm. Um, we provide counseling and litigation in, in a variety of areas, including some of these. So um, check us out in netlawcenter.net and check out our blog, Cyber Report, ilccyberreport.wordpress.com. And, um, and most importantly, um, check us out here every Wednesday at 10 on Webmaster Radio. You can download the mobile app and listen to us anywhere you go. So um, thanks again, everyone. It's been a pleasure. I'm Cordis Adjourned. We will see you next time on Cyberlaw Business Report. Have a great day. This is Bennett Kelly. All the best. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.